We're continuing uh, this morning in our study of the books of Samuel. We've been in 1 Samuel um, uh, for the last couple of weeks. Um, we'll be in 1 Samuel for a while, um, but we are continuing, and, and we're at the beginning of chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your scripture to, to 1 Samuel chapter 3, um, we're going to be looking at chapter 3 this morning. But I just want to remind us where we have been, what we have seen so far. What we have seen so far is that first, that there is a crisis in the land. There's a crisis in Israel. It's a crisis of leadership. It's a crisis of morality. It's a crisis of spirituality. What we also saw is that there was a crisis in one particular family in Israel, the family of Elkanah, namely that his wife Hannah was without a child. And so we saw Hannah come before God and pour her heart out to God to, to, be, to be so open and honest and vulnerable with God that Eli, the chief priest, saw her and assumed that she was drunk. Now, I don't know how many of you have had moments in your life in which, let's say you weren't good Baptist church members, but if you have ever been around someone who has imbibed a little too much, you know that it can, it can function as a truth serum, can it? it? Some things can come out of your mouth that, that maybe you didn't intend to come out of your mouth. And I think we want to think about that when we're thinking about what this true worship from Hannah looked like. It was messy, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a little over the top, but Scripture holds it up as honest and sincere and that God responds to it. And so we see that God responds to Hannah's prayer, that God addresses the crisis in this family. And as we're going to begin to see today, and addressing the crisis in this family begins to address the crisis in the nation. Last week we saw in a little bit more detail what some of that crisis in the nation was. That Eli's sons in particular, his two sons, were, well, they weren't good guys. They, they were abusive. They used their position of power to get for themselves, not to serve. They used, they used the threat of physical violence to push people around. They, they used the women of God's temple as if they were pagan temple prostitutes. These are not good guys. And we saw what God said to Eli, that they would be judged, and that the day would come in which both of his sons would die on the same day. And so what we're going to see today as we, as we turn from this sort of prelude to Samuel, and as the story really begins to focus in on the prophet Samuel, we see how these two crises, the crises of the nation and the crises of the family, end up having one resolution, the calling of the prophet Samuel. So we are in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? And I will say this. We're going to read the entirety of the chapter. 
So if you need to take a seat at some point, that's okay. I understand that it's a little long. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I didn't call, Eli replied. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called, Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I did not call you, my son, he replied. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood there and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do something in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I am going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you? Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you. And do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. All of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, dear holy God, you you search us out and you know us better than we know ourselves. You call us to Yourself. And just as Samuel looked to Eli, and as Eli then asked Samuel to bring Your Word, so raise up in our day faithful servants who will speak Your Word to us with clarity and with grace, with love and true compassion. And so God, as we turn 
to your word this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. We pray these things through Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. May be seated. This is probably the second or third best-known call story in Scripture. I would offer that that Jesus' calls to the disciples to come and follow him are going to be in that top three. And Isaiah's call story from Isaiah 6 is going to be in that top three. And then Samuel. I, I, I don't know which order we're going to put those in. I don't think Samuel's number one. I think Samuel probably is number three, and the other two are competing for those one and two positions. But this is, this is a well-known story. I don't know how many times I heard this story in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school growing up. Partially because it is the story, right, of God calling a young one. I mean, Samuel is still a, a boy at this point. He is beginning to come into his own. He is beginning to come into maturity, but he is still a child. And so we often share this story with kids to help them know and understand that that they can hear from God, that they can have relationship with God. So I'm sure that lots of you know this story. You've heard this story before, right? Not rhetorical question, nodding, okay. So oftentimes when we get to a story that we think we know in the Bible, it helps us to try and read it and look at it as if we've never seen it before. So that's what I tried to do this week. I tried to act as if I had never heard this story about Samuel talking to, the God, talking to God ever before. You know, it'd be really easy for me to just lean into what I learned in vacation Bible school and, you know, spiff it up a little bit with some some big seminary kind of words and go on our way. It would have made for an easy week in sermon prep. But let's look and see if there are some things that maybe I've never noticed before and maybe you've never noticed before. The first thing, the first thing that I noticed before, having, having reading this for one of the first times in total context, studying it in total context of the rest of Samuel, is right there in verse 2 where it says, one day Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was laying in his usual place. Excuse me. Lying in his usual place. My English teacher mother would correct me. And it is correct in Scripture. He is lying. He is not laying. But if we think about what we read and learned last week, right, about Eli's sons and what they are doing, Eli's eyesight is actually failing him in more ways than one, isn't it? Eli's physical eyesight is failing him. I I, I think that is intended to be the implication here, that his physical eyesight is, is failing him. I know I know some of you as I do, many of you wear these. Some of you, I know, like me, have a, have a diagnosis of macular degeneration. 
the day may come in which my eyesight, physical eyesight, fails me. I'll be honest with you. For me personally, there are few things that terrify me more. I will swim with sharks any day of the week. Done it. Got bit by a shark. It was a baby sand shark. No big deal. But take my vision away from me so that I can't read, and not just read God's Word, but read anything? Because we all know I'm, I'm, I'm not cut out for learning, learning Braille. So Eli's physical eyesight is failing him. But just as we sing in Amazing Grace, I was blind, but now I see. Eli has been blind in other ways as well. He has been blind to the iniquity and the unrighteousness of his sons. He's turned, what's the expression we use? A blind eye to their behavior. We saw last week that he offered some modicum of resistance to them. But that was after it had already gone too far. Eli has gotten to the point where he can no longer see what's going on in God's house. We saw how Eli's eyesight failed him when Hannah came and worshipped. He was not able to discern worship from drunkenness. That's a, a failure of eyesight. So that was, that was sort of the first thing that jumped out to me for the first time. How, how the author here of Samuel is, is reiterating the blindness of Eli. The physical blindness, but also the spiritual blindness. That the crisis in the land has come about because of the failure of Eli's eyesight. The crisis inside the temple has come about because of the failure of Eli's eyesight. Let's jump down to verse 7. The next thing that stuck out to me that I had never seen before, right here in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Let's stop for a second and, and, and consider what's actually being said here. Samuel is, is a child who is dedicated to God by his mother. Samuel has been brought and has lived with Eli the priest and has served in the temple. And in fact, we read last week, even wearing the ephod, the, 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 the garment of the priesthood, from the time that he is a small boy. Even in this chapter, what do we see him doing? We see him lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was located. He's there to serve. And yet we're told here explicitly in verse 7 that he does not know God. You have someone serving in the temple. You have someone whose whole life 
revolves, literally revolves around the worship of the Lord in the Lord's temple, and he does not know the Lord. He cannot hear the Lord's voice. He cannot discern the Lord's voice. It doesn't matter that he's served in the temple. It doesn't matter that he's been there for essentially his entire life. He does not know him. But why does he not know him? This is one of those, this is one of those sentences that, that has two clauses in it. <laughs> you know, and sometimes when we, when we have sentences that have got more than one clause in it, we'll focus on one or the other, but we forget that they're connected. So, so, yes, he doesn't know, but why does he not? Well, that question, that why, is answered in the second clause because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Here he is, growing up in Eli's household, serving in the temple, around the worship of the Lord every day, and he's never heard the word of God. The word of God has never been revealed to him. Brothers and sisters, we have to be honest with ourselves. Simply bringing our little ones to church is not enough. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, but it's not enough. How many of you know someone who grew up in the church, maybe a peer, maybe one of your children's peers, maybe one of your own children or grandchildren, who grew up in the church. What do we say? Oh, I was there. Daddy had me there every time the door was open. And yet, they've never heard the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that that the church or the parents or the grandparents were remiss in presenting the Word. But we all know, right, you can be somewhere and someone can say something to you and you haven't heard it, right? If y'all think that can't happen, I want you to ask Audrey how many times she has to repeat things to me. And I've been tested. There's nothing wrong with my ears other than the fact that there's a male brain between them. But that can happen, right? So presence is important. Presence with God's people in God's house is really, really important. Let us not neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, the author of Hebrews tells us. But presence alone is not enough. We have to hear the Word of God. And for some of us, what that means is we've got to open our ears to hear the Word of God. And what we see happen here is Eli does that for Samuel. Eli, as blind as Eli has become, Eli begins to understand what is happening. And he helps Samuel understand that God is speaking to him. That God is waiting 
to pour his word into Samuel so that Samuel can hear. Because Samuel's never heard it before. He doesn't understand what is happening. See, it's not Samuel who calls to God and asks God to come to him. It's God who calls to Samuel. But Samuel needed someone to come alongside him and help him understand who it was that he was hearing. Because if you don't know the voice of the shepherd, it doesn't matter how much he yells and calls for you until you understand that it's the voice of the shepherd, you will continue to wander. The shepherd does the calling, but the sheep have to respond to the call. So that was the second point, that Samuel did not know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the third thing that stuck out to me this time that I had never really noticed before was Eli's response to all of this. You know, Eli tells Samuel, go and this is what you say and this is what you listen. Now the last time that we know of that Eli has heard from God has been from another prophet who has come to him and told him what is going to happen to his family. So Eli has to know that the word that the Lord brings to Samuel is not an easy word. And yet he asks Samuel to bring it anyway. What was the message he gave you? Do not hide it from me. This is the moment in my reading of Eli's story. This is the moment of Eli's redemption. And I don't mean redemption in, in the, the salvific way, but in the, in the sort of in the course of the story. Because Eli has been blind. He's literally been sitting down, laying down on the job. But the time comes when he knows the word of the Lord has been brought, and he says, do not hide it. Be honest. He has to know that it's not going to be good. And yet he's willing to hear it, willing to bear it. For all of us, we have our moments when we can be Eli. For all of us, we can have our moments when we are blind, when we have blind spots. All of us can have moments when we need someone to tell us the truth. That's part of what this is about. One of the reasons that we should not, not neglect to gather together as some are in the habit of doing is because our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those who are in covenant community with us in the local congregation, are the people that God has placed in our lives to speak hard truths to us. 
at its root, this is what the Bible is talking about when the Bible talks about church discipline. The church coming together and approaching a brother and sister, not in condemnation, not in, in, in I'm better than you, but in love to speak a hard truth so that we can repair relationship with God through Christ. We are going to come in a few moments to this table. We're going to kind of share a meal together. We're going to literally break bread together. It is not without meaning that one of the ordinances the Lord gave us was a meal. I'm sure many of you grew up in families where maybe not every day, but at least a lot of the time, that time around the table was the time that you loved each other and spoke to each other and spent time with how was your day, what's going on. And it may be been the time when you heard hard truths spoken in love from your parents. Or maybe from a sibling. God gave us a table, a, a meal, because God has made us a family. What was the answer to the crisis in the land? The beginning of the answer to the crisis in the land was one family. The answer to the crisis in our land is once again one family. But this time, not a family of a mother and a father and a child, but a family of adoption. A family bound together, yes, by blood, but not by our blood, but by his blood. I'm not going to get into stuff, but you may or may not know that the second half of this week, there's been some turmoil in our congregation. And for any role that I have played in that turmoil, I offer an apology to you. It would never in a million years be my intention to cause turmoil in our congregation. But I'm going to tell you this. Last night, our deacons met. And it was a hard meeting. And I had some hard truths spoken to me. And I heard them. 
and I'm listening to them. On the other side, I think we spoke some hard truths all around in that meeting. And I'm here to tell you it's the best deacons meeting we have had since I have been here. Not because it was easy, not because we left all smiley and giggly, but because for the first time we owned some things. We owned the fact that there are divisions in our congregation. There are some deep differences in our congregation about how we should do ministry, about how we're best to love each other, and how best to move forward. And brothers and sisters, that's okay that there are those divisions. The better thing is when we speak them and when we own them, we can begin to heal them. A little over 10 years ago, this congregation was thrown into some really bad turmoil. We're still healing from that. You are still healing from that. And I'm going to offer this. Today, as your deacons come forward to serve you, as I serve you, this morning, as we break bread together, let us break bread as brothers and sisters in Christ who love each other. Now, my understanding, as an only child, I don't know this for sure, but as my understanding is, um, siblings can squabble. Is that a fair understanding? I mean, at three months old, we haven't quite gotten there yet in our household. Disagreement is good. Difference of opinion is good. But at the end of the day, we're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Who lets first, foremost, and always our love for God and our love for each other rule the day. And so again... If you have been privy to any of the turmoil over the last several days, for my part in it, let me say I'm sorry. And let me say this. We worship a God. I told Joey this this morning. We worship a God who can bring people back from the dead. We worship a God who's conquered death. What are the only two things in life that are inevitable? Death and taxes. Neither of those things will exist in the kingdom of God because God's defeated them both. So let today, let this table be a moment of renewal, of reconciliation, and of new birth in us as a congregation as we love each other, as we speak hard truths to each other, and as we serve God together. If the deacons who are present will go ahead and come on forward as we come to the table.